Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey everyone, this is Chuck Garfine and you're listening to the White Sox Talk podcast brought to you by Wintrust Community Bank, home of White Sox checking with, with free ATMs nationwide. Find out more at wintrust.com slash socks. That is wintrust.com slash socks. We come to you every Tuesday and we're here at Guaranteed Rate Field, taping this on a Monday because we had a chance to sit down with Jake Berger, the White Sox number one pick from this year, and uh, he took batting practice. He was spraying the ball all over the field, hit a bunch of a home runs. Uh, actually, one of them went to the third to last row in left field. However, that did not surpass the home run that Aaron Judge hit uh, of the Yankees. I saw him hit a ball that landed on the concourse just left of center field way back there. It might have been about 500 feet. I've never seen that before here. But back to Jake Berger because uh, White Sox fans should be really excited about this kid. He's from the St. Louis area, but he did grow up a White Sox fan. So coming up on the podcast, he talks about why he's a White Sox fan, but actually he's more than a Sox fan because he says there are two guys that he wants to emulate as an athlete, and they're both Chicago icons. One is Paul Canerico, and the other one is Jonathan Taves. He's a big Blackhawks fan as well. So uh, that's the kind of guy Jake Berger is and the kind of makeup that uh, he really has uh, in his DNA, so to speak. So he's going to talk about that. Uh, also, you got to find out what kind of burger he likes. What's Jake Berger's favorite burger? And uh, a whole lot more that he, uh, he lets us in. He's just great, a great person, and I think White Sox fans are really going to embrace him. And there's something about a lot of these guys the White Sox are drafting these days. They all seem to have similar makeup, and uh, he's going to fit right in, I think. And he's going to start in uh, Arizona, leaving on Tuesday morning, going to be there for a couple of days, and then he'll be in uh, low A, Kannapolis, as the uh, beginning of the Jake Berger era begins with the White Sox. So here we go, my interview with... Jake Berger here at Guaranteed Rate Field. All right, Jake Berger, you just uh, made your, I'm going to say it's your White Sox debut. In a way it was because you did batting practice. You had Rick Renteria throwing the ball, do you? You had Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams right behind you watching. What was that like? Oh, it's something special. Uh, it was unbelievable, you know, there's no words. Uh, it's, it's great, you know. They put me in the uh, the power group, so I'm hitting with Abreu and Frazier and Cabrera and all these guys. So it was it was a fun time, and you know I'll remember this forever. And you're wearing a White Sox hat, White Sox jersey. You grew up a White Sox fan in the St. Louis area, so yeah. people are always wondering, how did this happen? Oh, it's it's comfortable, you know, being being in this these uh, these colors, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, I grew up being a Paul Canerco guy. Uh, I would always kind of model my swing off of him and, and watch him grow grow as a hitter. And so, you know, it, it was easy to become a White Sox fan with him in the middle of the lineup, obviously. And, um, you know, I just never really felt the attraction I had to the Cardinals um, that I have to the White Sox, you know, just kind of a, a gritty type, type organization. So, uh, you know, I, I felt comfortable liking them and you know it, it helped the no5 them uh, winning the World Series but you know and yeah Mark Burley you know a guy from st. Louis who 
I mean, kind of had a similar route to me, and you know, he's he's a great guy, and you know, he's a good Midwestern guy. So, um, yeah, I feel it feels comfortable to be out here. I'm trying to imagine that because your friends were all Cardinals fans, and you yeah. decided to be this total outlier with the White Sox. Yeah, no, I mean. They said as long as I'm not a Cubs fan, then then they're uh, they're okay with it. <laughs> All right. So when it came to times so really before the draft, you had scouts visiting you. Yeah. So Nick Hosteller, the scouting director of the White Sox, came. I think Garrett Guest, who was a scout, he came. Yeah. And what did you say to them? The first thing you said to them when they came into the room? Well, I, I sat them down and uh, handed. You them sat them down. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, hey, you guys want some water? And I got them some water. And then you know, I'm like. Hey, before we start this meeting, you know, I, I wanted to be clear that I'm a diehard White Sox guy and I want to be a part of your organization. Um, I think they kind of took them off guard for a little bit, but they're like, all right, that's that's kind of cool. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a good meeting and it was, you know, it was very comfortable between both of us. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad they gave me gave me a chance. Did you have a feeling this was going to happen draft day or certainly as the draft got closer to the White Sox pick? Did you feel like this might be happening for you? Yeah, no, I mean... Before the draft started, I think we we had an idea where where I was going to go, and um, you know the uh, the White Sox came on on, the, on their pick was 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 in, and I'm like, okay, I hope it's me, and you know, sure enough, it was. You know, I didn't I didn't know going into the pick that that I was going to get taken, so uh, it, was, it was something special. Right. So I'm assuming you're you're living on cloud nine right now, and it probably was happening before because you had a guy named Jim Tomey come and visit you, yeah. right? What yeah. was that like? Did you know he was coming? No, I had no idea. Um, our, our baseball operations guy uh, pulled me aside after the game. He's like, I got somebody for you to meet. And I turned the corner, and this guy's massive. I'm like, and he turns his head. He's like, that's Jim Tomey. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and I shook his hand. And, uh, sure enough, I, I hit a home run in, in the game he came to, so it was pretty pretty awesome. What Did he give you any advice? Uh, you know, just it was similar to what uh, Paul Canerco told me on the phone, just, you know, outwork everybody. And uh Keep your head on straight and be humble. You know, just just work as hard as you can, and then things will take care of themselves. Yeah. So you had a phone call after you got drafted by Canerco. Was that the best phone call you've ever gotten? Oh, it was unbelievable. I, I had no idea he was calling me too. So they're like, yeah, somebody from the wide section to call, and I'm thinking, you know, somebody in the, from the front office. And uh, sure enough, I, I pick up the phone, and he's like, hey, Jake, this is Paul Canerco. I go, oh, whoa. <laughs> so I was just taken back, and uh, Scott, I got to uh, got to talk to him, and you know, he. He said, whenever you want to call me, you can, and uh, so it's it's unbelievable. So in your phone, does it say Paul Canerco? It says Paul Canerco, and I, <laughs> I like, I was kind of showing it off to my friends a little. <laughs> it's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, you got Paul Canerco in your phone. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you also have Tyler Johnson and Evan Skaug, who yeah. you pl- they got drafted by the White Sox. You played with them in Team USA. What kind of players are these guys? Oh, they're they're unbelievable. You know, they're they're similar to me, just hard workers, and they're learners of the game. You know, it's. It's good, uh, you know. I, I was best friends with both of those guys over the summer, especially Skaug. Um, it's it's unbelievable, and they're both great players too. Um, you know, Tyler is plus plus fastball with a good off speed uh, slider, and you know, Skaug's just just a grinder behind the plate, and he, he loves it. So, uh, you know, I was I was happy to see them get get popped by the uh, White Sox. Yeah. So a lot of fans want now the White Sox to draft Seth the Beer next year, so there's yeah. Burger and Beer. But you guys already played together that same team, right? Yeah. No, we did. Uh, it, was, it was actually funny. We were uh, in Taiwan on on July 4th, and they put our jerseys up next to each other, and they're like, you know, great time to be an American, and it has Burger and Beer next. So it's pretty funny. In that same tournament, wasn't there a typhoon that came through? Yeah, we, yeah, it was unbelievable. We were quarantined in our hotel for 24 hours because this typhoon's hitting us, and our parents are all freaking out. And we have like no service, so 
our, all of our moms are calling, you know, like worried about us. You know, it wasn't wasn't as bad as everybody expected, but um, anytime you see super typhoons about to hit Taiwan and Weather Channel, it's it's, it's pretty. Yeah, and you're in Taiwan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, there are critics out there. I don't even call them critics. There's just scouts mm-hmm. who say, I don't know if he can be a major league third baseman. What do you think about that? Meant to that 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 sentiment. I, I'm I think I can. Um, I, I think it can be a major league third baseman, and you know that that's what's awesome about this organization is uh, Nick Hosteller, Rick Hahn, all those guys are like, hey, we we want you to play third base, and uh, you know they after the draft they they said that as well. So um, you know I, I'm excited to do everything I can for this organization, and uh, you know whatever they ask of me, I, I'm gonna do. You were not drafted in high school, Serato High School, I should say. Something changed about your freshman or sophomore year. What was it? Uh, I don't. I want to say. I don't want to say a change in approach, but I mean, it, it, it was. Um, you know, it was learning how to hit mistake pitches, um, swinging at the right pitches, um, kind of working on on hitting the right half of the ball to, to create backspin and, and carry. Um, and you know, I got to give a lot of credit to the Missouri State coaching staff. Um, you know, especially Matt Lawson, who's who's a hitting coordinator now, and he you know he helped me big time. So um, yeah, it was, it was transformation from because I always hit the ball hard. Um, I, it was just line drives and ground balls instead of getting the ball in the air, and so that, that was kind of the major change was creating line drive fly ball instead of line drive ground balls. Yeah, I wrote this down. You're doing you did vision training. Yeah. So what is vision training? Okay, so it's kind of hard hard to explain, but so there's there's a monitor in front of you and. They'll have like a, a select pitcher on on the mound, and right before the ball is released or it's halfway to the plate, it'll cut out and it'll go black. And so then you have to say what pitch it was, if it's a ball or strike, um, location, different stuff like that. And so, you know, I did that for uh, 12 weeks, and, and it helped me big time. You know, I was uh, because my freshman year I struggled with like a fastball high, and I did that, and my rates at swinging fastballs high went down dramatically so um, you know is something something that that I really enjoy and I'm going to be using for for the rest of my career so you were a big Blackhawks fan you still are a big Blackhawks oh, fan yeah. and you said something interesting that you you love Jonathan Taves yeah. and the way that he acts in the locker room yeah can you elaborate on that uh you know you just you see him and you just say that's a captain you know he he knows how to stick up for his team on the ice but also just how to control and and create chemistry in the locker room. And that's something I'm huge on. Is is the chemistry obviously translate to uh, to the field, and you can tell that with the Blackhawks, just how they carry carry themselves around each other and and on the ice. You know, it's a it's a winning organization, and that's I mean, even though it's a different sport, you know, that's that's somebody I aspire and strive to be um, leadership wise. Do you have a favorite kind of burger? Uh, not really. I mean, there's a place down in uh, in Springfield that has a mac and cheeseburger, and it's interesting. I mean, everybody's like, ugh, but, like, you can't knock it till you try it. I've had the mac, not that one. Yeah. I've had a mac and cheeseburger before. Yeah. I'm, I'm shocked that it took this long for someone to put together a mac and cheeseburger. Yeah, that's what, I know, right? <laughs> there already is the cheeseburger. So Why not a mac and cheeseburger? Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> okay. Hey, stick around. Coming up, I'm going to speak with Dan Hayes, our White Sox insider, here at CSN, get his take on what he saw from Jake Berger, as well as uh, trade talk, Carlos Rodon coming back and making his season debut on Wednesday. All that and more coming up on the White Sox Talk podcast, brought to you by Wintrust. Keep your money local. Bring it home to a Wintrust community bank, home of White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Find out more at Wintrust.com slash Sox, members FDIC. 
All right, here with Dan Hayes from CSNChicago.com with the organ playing uh, here at Guaranteed Rate Field. Soothing tones. It's the soothing tones of the organ uh, as background music as I do this interview with, with Dan. All right, so first off, just spoke with Jack, uh, Jake Berger. What's your take on Jake? That's, that could be Jake's takes. That could be a, a little thing for him when he gets to be a major league player. It could be, and there was a lot of power in there. The first two rounds, not surprised at all. The kid's nervous. You know, you saw some late swings. When he started to tap into the power, the ball went pretty far. And we're not going to make any far-reaching conclusions off of one batting practice. practice. But it was a nice session. The kid looked like a pro ball player right there and, and even talked like one, too. I mean, that's going to be a fun quote if he gets to the major leagues. So I think it was a good first day for him and had a lot of little nuggets for us with the Paul Canerco stuff. and. You know, I mean, he sounds like an interesting kid who looks forward to getting his career underway. Yeah, he's just, you, you look at him, he's a thick guy. I mean, he's very strong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is top heavy, you know, yes, like you is. can you can see that. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he profiles, if he can stick at third base. I You've heard those concerns from scouts out there. But, you know, when you got a determined kid like that, I think that helps a lot. And. I mean, look, there were a lot of concerns about Matt Davidson being a third baseman when the White Sox acquired him four years ago, and he's still there. So I think that if the effort is there on his part, you're going to see a kid probably stick there, and especially with that bat. Yeah, he's going to go to Arizona, actually leaving on uh, Tuesday. He's going to be there for a little bit, and it looks like then maybe Kannapolis for him. The days of the fast-tracking Gordon Beckham, Chris Sales are, I don't want to say over, but certainly not for the next few years. It sounds like they want to take all these guys really, really slowly from Jake Berger to Yoan Moncada. I'd say over. <laughs> Without question, over. I think we're... I think that was one of the things that you knew how the White Sox were going back in November, and I think when we talked on the podcast back then, that was the telltale sign to me, not just the, the movement, but how they were talking about developing guys, and they weren't going to rush them. Tim Anderson's here right now, and he got here three years after he got out of junior college. That's not going to happen unless absolutely 100% ready, and I think Yolan Moncada, we're going to see it be. He's probably close to ready. He probably is ready, but they're going to keep pushing it and pushing it a little bit. So. You're going to see guys get every chance to learn everything they need to in the minors. And that's as key of an aspect to this rebuild as anything. And you need to get the talent, but then you need to develop that talent rather than rush it and hope they can learn up here because you see growing pains up here with some guys. And it's tough. I mean, this is not a great place to be learning. Well, it's a great place to be learning. It's not the easiest place to be learning. Yeah, I was talking with one, someone from the White Sox today about that mentality, and he said, oh, so-and-so feels like he's ready to come to the majors well be ready some more <laughs> yeah absolutely i mean look guys are gonna get their uh, carlos Rodon probably thought the minute he got here i can do this you know he was viewed as one of the best pitchers on the planet as one scout said at the time and he came up real quick and learned guys don't chase your your stuff they don't really go after it and all of a sudden you can be four walks into a game and how did that even happen and you're nibbling and Look, it's not easy to do, and, and so there is a big learning curve, and, and I, I really like the idea that they're going to take their time with these guys because it's necessary. You mentioned Rodon, so he will make his uh, season debut on Wednesday against the Yankees, and, you know, it's it's great to have him back. They need him just because we're still trying to figure out what the ceiling is for Rodon, and all of a sudden it got, you know, the, the rug got uh, swept from under him. Yeah, I mean... Look, they, they need him in the worst way right now, and they need guys to go six, seven innings as much as possible just to get this bullpen. You know, there are nine, I think there's nine guys in the bullpen right now, or eight with Holmberg, and 
I mean, it is getting taxed on a daily basis. The four-inning starts are just not cutting it. We're going to see a long July and August if things don't start going a little better for them because they're just not going deep into games. And James Shields was talking about that on Saturday after his start, how it's a constant discussion with these guys. But for sure on Rodon, you need to see where he is overall as a pro. I, I still sort of has that prospect label, even though he's got a lot of innings in the majors. It's just more, you know what he is. He's at least right now a solid 3-4 starter, but he has that number one potential. And now they need to find out if he can reach that because he looked great after he came back from that wrist injury last year. His numbers were stellar from the end of July to the end of the season. It was, it was really impressive. He did the same thing at the end of his first full season. I, you want to get him to do that consistently, and I think that's what their aim is. Yeah, because my, my feeling going into the season before he got hurt was, what is he? And we started to see at the end of last year, oh, if this is what Carlos Rodon is, then you know he's got def- definitely a centerpiece of this team and this rebuild, and it, it gets a lot quicker because, or they can get better a lot quicker because if they end up trading Quintana, he's your ace. Right, absolutely. And he has that stuff. I think he's got a, the, the development of a pre-start routine. Sounds like it's a good thing. And, and he's talked about that, about having a plan for the, five, the four days in between starts. That's really important. And I think he's getting the mentality down. We've already seen him eliminate some of the walks. Uh, the command got better. Now it's about efficiency, but also being able to do it with the stuff trying to kind of balance it all together and do it consistently for two, three months instead of eight, ten starts and then having a couple down ones. It's always going to happen. You're going to have down ones, but I think they want to eliminate four bad ones in a row or three bad ones in a row, that kind of thing, when you're hoping he's the number one going forward. I know when people listen to this, the Monday game will have been played, but I'm going to ask you this question, and people are going to hear this, and you'll either sound like a genius or you'll sound like you were mistaken. And the question is this, will Rick Renteria be thrown out again? <laughs> Rick Renteria will not be thrown out again. I think he has Joe McEwing with like a shock collar on him right now in the dugout so that when he steps out, a little buzz just to remind him, don't kick. Now, I, you know, it's really, it's been a unique set of circumstances. I mean, you had quick triggers and I, I'm going to say, look, I think Avicio Garcia, you know. You could have gotten thrown out for that. You, uh, the point in the eyes, the whole uh, meet the parents thing, uh, the I'm the captain now thing, that that was definitely a little bit. He showed him up. He did. He did. And, and Frazier said that he deserved it. I still don't know what Tim Anderson said. I wasn't here that night. But Renneria has shown time and again, even in spring training, that he will be out there to defend his players quickly. He did it with Carlos, or, uh, Carson Fulmer in the very first game of spring training. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he got it, especially given how quick those ejections were. Okay, Rick Hahn spoke uh, here on Monday about you know the trade market. There's, it sounds like talks have begun. I would love to know what some of those talks are. But do you see this being more of a late July movement for, for players, or could it come sooner with White Sox players? I mean, I think that White Sox players are out there right now, and I think that they will just depend on what kind of market they're getting. Really, I mean, I think it's up to the other team to meet that price, because I don't think the price is really going to come down a whole lot. They know what they have. They know what they want for what they have. And you can come get it right now. You can just come in here, buy you know, buy this item at the store. It's here, and, and you know, you, it's probably slower. You see the the Nats going out and signing uh, Francisco Rodriguez to a minor league contract. He's always been a guy that 
I would never count him out at all. But he looks awful earlier this year. You know what I think is going on with the Nationals? Because they have such a big lead in their division, they don't feel the need right away to make a move. If there was a team behind them two or three games, I think you would have seen, if not David Robertson, some other closer on their team because I'm stunned stunned that they have not made a trade yet for a closer. No question. And, and well, I'm not stunned because of their lead. That's well, basically it, They're going to have to address some of those things by the end of the season. You can't go into the postseason with the bullpen that they have. They should know that from their own experiences the last couple of years. Bullpen is absolutely critical. And I'm sure they're going to see if K-Rod pans out or not. Maybe he's an eighth inning guy in the long, in the long run. But it's not like he left a team that was going to have a down year and he needed some motivation. He was just garbage to the point where he got released. This is a guy that was on a team that had some expectations. And, and when you go into a year, it's not like he needs to go to this situation to get fired up about winning. He was in a spot where this division is winnable right now. And if Detroit had you know, a decent bullpen, they'd be doing a little better. I mean, they have a lot of issues and they're playing terrible baseball right now. And uh, it's, you know, but at the same time, it's not like he's going to go there and be like, oh, I'm on the Nats now. I need to be good. I, you know, I'm ready to be good. He was probably ready to be good in April. just wasn't happening. All right, we got some techno being played here. You want to do some dancing for us? Can you show us? Your, show off your moves? My backpack, the glow sticks are in there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm going to save this, the moves. I mean, it's a podcast. No one will be able to see it. Oh, my God, look at Dan Hayes. He's dancing to this techno. Oh, if people could see this, this is, these, these are some moves I didn't know you had. I try to limit it. You know, I, I try to keep this kind of stuff uh, on the down low. It's the surprise, the element of surprise. Basically. You're sweating now. That was qu I didn't know you could. I didn't know you had that in your arsenal. I, 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 I'm a man of many uh, talents. <laughs> All right, Dan Hayes from CSNChicago.com. Thank you so much, and thanks for listening to the White Sox Talk podcast. Brought to you by Wintrust Community Bank, home of White Sox checking with free ATMs nationwide. Find out more at Wintrust.com/socks. That's Wintrust.com slash socks, and we'll see you next time. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.